See, that's the kind of shit that you do. We're still recording. Okay. Hello, fellow watch lovers, nerds, enthusiasts, or however you identify. This is the 40 and 20 podcast with your host, Andrew, and my good friend, Everett. Here, we talk about watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Everett, I'm not going to ask how are you just yet, (laughs) because I want to tell you, every time I hear our theme song, the first thing that comes to mind is Call of Duty Modern Warfare's Nuketown map. Interesting. It just feels like a 50s, everything is good, everything is happy. And right now, everything is good and happy because we're on the back porch in the sun, drinking beers. So, Everett, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm going to open this beer. Hey! Look at us. That was quite the the uh, synchronization yeah sy- synchronicity uh no i'm well yeah sitting in the backyard is fucking cool right i'm glad that we're social distance drinking yeah and recording yeah and, and the minimum social distance i would say there's approximately 6.5 feet between our heads right now between our mouths yeah which is the source of the virus right that <laughs> in china so i every time i text china and or I write it basically forever and always. It's always going to be C H A I hyphen N U H China. Oh, but why? Because that's how that's how you say it. That's how DJ Trump says it. Oh yeah, yeah. So just taking orders from the commander in chief and have changed the way I spell China. <laughs> it's a beautiful day though, and today I think is supposed to be the last day of nice days. Is that right? I think we're supposed to start getting rain here in the next couple of days, which is. Good timing for us, but I was a little worried this morning when I woke up and saw how cloudy it was. I was going to say, mm. I'm, I'm not going to sit outside and record in anything less than shade. Right. Like, like shade from direct sunlight. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is perfect. I mean, the sky is just as blue as it could be. Yeah. Uh, temperature is good. I'd say, what, 70? It's about. That's what that, my car was reading 75 when I got into it after having been sitting in direct heat. So we might be high 60s, but... Yeah. yeah, neighborhood of 70 degrees. I'm yeah. in shorts. That's unusual for me. Yeah, and it's the, clearly the first time the first time you've been in shorts in a minute. This color is my year-round color, <laughs> but for the days following a fishing trip where I'm more purple, right. and then I return to this color. You know, It looks like I have tube socks on. It, you know, when we went to Mexico, you were certain you were going to burn. I mean, I did, but just not that much, and it's because I'm gingery, your wife's gingery. And both of our wives were there constantly checking in, like, it's been 30 minutes, get more sunblock on. Yeah. And yeah. it was it was really nice to have two handlers. Yeah. I, I'm I'm just as bad as Kim too with the sunblock. I'm like, put more sunblock on because you know, it's just miserable when you get burned. But And I'm very prone to burning. Well, you know, I don't think anyone is at anyone is at serious risk of burning today, although I suppose it could happen. Um, but my backyard has a perfect a perfect amount of trees. We can thin it out a, just a touch. A, a canopy, I like to call it. I did thin it out. So when we set up the badminton net this week, I realized that we have um, both a birch that was getting a little aggressive and uh, one of these dug firs that was that was getting kind of low. 
Uh, so I trimmed those back. I actually got a ladder out and I trimmed the trees back. Um, nothing major, no major cutting. Uh, but yeah, opened up the badminton court. It's ready to go. It is. It's ready to go. So sun hits that. But when you're on the when you're on the 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 what do you call this wooden thing? This is a patio or a deck. Yeah, Take when, your pick. When you're when you're on the deck, you're you're nice. You're in the shade. Yeah. I'm a fan, man. I love this backyard. This is the favorite, my favorite backyard I've ever had. This is a good backyard. The only problem with it is it it has that steep drop off. It's got the steep drop off, and there's nowhere to pee where you're not in full view of a neighbor's window. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, it's not like the houses are super close, but there's just no, um, there's just no place that's totally private well, back here. It's because of the elevation change in your backyard. Yeah, like you live on the side of a hill, so your neighbors kitchen looks directly into your backyard right it's it's eye level with the penis <laughs> exposed in the backyard uh yeah i mean at night i just piss off the the deck and no one's any the wiser no. but yeah if you were my color people would be the wiser it's i glow right we can go back to our loom conversation i don't <laughs> require charging i just am always <laughs> when exposed to light so again, we're drinking Krausdash. Yeah, I got a six pack of it for I, us. I appreciate you doing that. I do really, really love this stuff. It's so good. I was drinking Tricera hops earlier today because I'm I made ribs. Well, I'm I'm actually making ribs. They're in the oven right now. You are doing making some, ribs actively yeah, as we speak. Doing well, some passively. Some three, two, one action. So I had them over the uh, over the fire for about three hours, like two hours and fifty minutes, to make sure I could get over here in a reasonable time. And I'm still using chunks I cut from my apple tree in my backyard to smoke my ribs. So they're in the oven right now. Mark, Marco Polo. Marco Polo, if you guys don't know what this is, it's like a a quick video chatting. It's like voice. It's, like, it's video texting. A- Andrew's son, Mark, sent me like a four-minute Marco Polo all about his, about his giant pile of logs. About his wood, yeah. <laughs> he was so proud. He, he piled up bunch of twigs in his tricycle little trunk and was bragging about how much wood he was dragging around. Yeah. And it was not much. <laughs> it was not much at all. <laughs> it was a full load for his tricycle, but it was it was like it yeah, it was not much. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. He was proud of it. Um you? How are you doing? You're good? Yeah, yeah just hanging in there, living the dream. Just, you know, Plugging away, working. I, again, will reiterate how thankful I am to uh, be an essential worker and get to leave my house to go to work. And number two, how thankful I am that I am not an early childhood educator because homeschooling kids sucks. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. You you know, it's tough. It's tough to do anything that you normally do in a place from the house. You know, I think that... A, a lot of people who say they would like to work remotely are going to uh, renege on that on that theory when this when this is is over with because uh, it, it's really hard. You know, I I struggle to stay organized, and the same goes for for training kids. You know, they're they're not in a place right. Uh, so much of schooling is dictated to being in a place, uh, dictated connected to being in a place. Yeah. Yeah, so their behavior is dictated by the fact that they're in a room with a bunch of chairs and a person sitting at the head of the room and they're not sitting at the kitchen table. Yeah. 
So yeah, I, I feel you, man. It's tough. It's it's tough. And, and you know, we we're getting weird stuff from the school district that says, you know, we can only do X amount of Zoom meetings per week, and um, you, you know, they're not they're not giving us all the information we need to understand their policy changes. They're just sort of giving us, you know, it, it's it's frustrating. And Kim sort of. PTO, you know, so she gets all these questions and she's like, well, I don't fucking know, man. Nobody tells me anything. So we get a lesson plan like every third week. Right. But the lesson <laughs> plan is not like complete. It's it's more like a stream of consciousness. Yeah. So we got one that was like, we're going to talk about life cycles of plants and we're going to talk about stuff like that. But then it was, there was reading lists, like, like read aloud books. We don't have those fucking books. <laughs> It was it was like, hey, read these stories to your kids. I'm like, so, like, where do, do we? You want us to go to like the bookstore, or right. come pick them up? How are we supposed to get this curriculum? Yeah. So anyway, it, everything's interesting. Everything's weird, um, mm. but we're talking about watches. Yeah, we're gonna do that. What did you think? What did you think about prepping for this this episode? Did you have? I mean, what what were your thoughts on? So so just. Spoiler alert, anybody who doesn't read the... Or isn't the, literate because they were homeschooled by Everett and I. <laughs> anybody who doesn't read the title of the episode, we're talking about uh, vintage-inspired uh, watches. That was the that was the cue. Vintage-inspired watches, which is not necessarily any one thing. You, you know, f- f- well, I gave the question to you and then I talked over yeah, it. Yeah, you did. I'm sorry. It's not necessarily any one thing. so our interpretation of a vintage inspired watch is in that gray mushy area i think of something that takes on design cues from an earlier era Mm -hmm. so which is a a lot of watches i don't and i think it's interesting that we because we took a mostly crowdsourced yeah. list of... Completely, uh, almost 100% of, of vintage-inspired watches. And I think you guys interpreted the cue really well insofar as we're not getting reissues. We're not getting homages. We're getting a list of watches that take these really classic kind of 70s, 80s design cues and have updated them in their own way and reinterpreted them in other ways to create a list of watches that is so money. You're mm. so we're I'm gonna do a quick spoiler alert here. Uh, we're looking at the Aquascoff from Baltic, and it is. Can we agree that we'll call it the Aquascaf on the show? I like Aquascoff. Aquascaf. <laughs> Aquascapa. Yeah. That's, I, can hey? we, yeah, Aquascapa. I'll go with that. Okay. So we're looking at the Aquascapa here. And this is a watch that won our, our objectively scientific scoring rubric. It's not a new watch, it's not a modern design watch, nor is it a vintage watch. It's, it is a watch that has taken those two worlds and smashed them together and been inspired by orological history mm-hmm. to create a great modern design. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're looking for. Mm-hmm. Vintage inspired. We weren't looking for just 
we're, we're not looking for Monaco's because the Monaco is kind of just continuing. Right? That's kind of my thinking. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's an interesting, I mean, because we did have some direct questions about that, right? We had some questions about, well, are you guys going to talk about the difference between uh, vintage inspired and an homage? And are you going to talk about, you, you know, what companies do when they reissue historical releases and, um, and maybe we'll get there at some point sort of natively, but, uh, at the end of the day, um, you, you know, that stuff I think is less important holistically than it is as, than it is the discussion of, of what's sort of available if you want a thing right now, you know? And so I think that that's, you have mosquitoes already. Yeah. I just got a mosquito bite on my head. I'm sorry, man. Why didn't you tell me that I was being eaten? I, well, I didn't see it. You're you're like 10 feet away from me. Like three feet from you. Six and a half. You, could, you, you guys want to hear us kiss? <laughs> we're close. <laughs> Not I me- close. I measured it. We're 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 six feet in between in between the the middles of our chairs. Did you measure it off of the two by fours that are on the? No, I oh. I had a tape measure. I had a tape measure because I'm careful like that. Look at you. So yeah. I, I think that's a I think we should address that right up front. Let's let's hit that issue right now. The difference between an homage, at least in our eyes, an homage, vintage inspired, and a vintage re-release. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's hit them one at a time. Let's let's hit the homage and why and well let's go the, let's go the other direction because yeah. a vintage re-release is easy, right? Yeah. It's, that's that's a company releasing something from its archives. Yeah, right? from their own catalog. They do some updates. Yeah. They do some changes. They make sh- they use shittier movements typically. <laughs> <laughs> they they uh, make it cheaper. A lot of times, yeah. And and move on. They yeah, are like, you know okay. the exception being Seiko, right? I think Seiko a lot of times goes the other direction. They're using better movements. Uh, more expensive materials, and they're and they're really you, you know also it goes without saying Rolex or Omega has taken some of its historic watches and really turned them into uh, fantastic modern pieces, right? Mm-hmm. I I think though if you if you look at either of those two luxury brands, and I think Rolex and Omega are probably the best two examples of it because they have such a they they have this ubiquity. This, but also, like the the Speedmaster has been in existence for fifty years, more than that, like sixty years, right? This, I think what, seventy, that, right? Just what about. year is it? It's tw- <laughs> yeah, sixty yeah, or seventy, yeah. yeah, nigh on seventy years. You you get the Explorer that's coming up on eighty years, mm-hmm. right? At what point it, can that watch ever be be vintage inspired? Because it's received updates. Mm-hmm. But so much of it's still true to its original creation that it, it'll never be a re-release. There are vintage explorers. They're not that far off from modern explorers. And and you Rolex folks will get kind of shitty with me about that. But, but let's be serious here. They're not that far off from the modern iterations. That, that When will it ever become a, a reissue? Or when will it ever become a... Yeah, I don't know. That's an interesting thing. It's just such a long yeah. running. It hasn't changed the way like a a Camry has. Mm-hmm. 
you look at 90s Camrys and they're wholly different than a modern Camry. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I think it depends, right? I think that there's a difference between a catalog watch that's been upgraded through the years, right? So say the the mm. Submariner or even the Explorer. No, a, I agree completely. There's a difference between that and um, what's Omega's last Speedmaster release, the, um, oh, who was the astronaut that it's named after? The Kelly. Scott Kelly isn't who it dropped it. No, no, no. no it no. was um it wasn't Scott Kelly. It was um whatever. It doesn't matter and we don't care about it anyway, right? Uh but you know, you have these uh reinterpretations of a distinctly classic watch. I had a conversation with the guys from this is an online conversation, not, not obviously not an in-person conversation with the guys from Clockbait about that watch, you know, and I I I'd raised you you know, there's certain things about that watch that were distinctly modern and, and different. Um and, and then certain things that were sort of like ant- antiquated or or anachronistic and I thought, you know what? Why don't they either take that soul, the soul of the watch and modernize it, or or make it distinctly uh, reminiscent of the existing uh, the existing model? You, you know, I, I I don't know. It, it it sort of seems like a bit of an identity crisis. A, a bit of an identity crisis. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, but in, in as far as that goes, right? It, I think a company has the the right certainly and. Um, all of the prerogative they want to 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 visit that catalog. So that's the first category. Second category being sort of homage, right? right. So this is a, an existing watch or perhaps a set of watches that are being homaged by somebody else, by somebody else. You know, it, it's no surprise to anybody that the Submariner frequently homaged. I, yeah, and I think so. so... That that right raises the question: Can you really like? I'm thinking of Bernhardt, yeah, and and their sub homage lineup. <laughs> It'll be all right. <laughs> Technical difficulties. You know, I think I did a pretty good job with the logistics, moving you, our studio to the back porch. You did. The studio is no longer in the guest room; it's on the back porch. And but that was just that was. There will be logistical issues, that was, like microphones falling out of their mic stands. That was funny, I, just because it was such a <laughs> slow fall. It was like watching an ice cream dollop scoop <laughs> fall out of the ice cream cone. Uh, but that that begs the question: is the is Bernhardt's lineup a vintage inspired homage, or is it just an homage to the sub, which is this kind of forever piece? I don't think it's but so so we're on to the to the to the homages, and I think you look at you look at Monaco homages or you look at the the EMG uh, Horizon yeah the Horizon unapologetically a Monaco homage but a watch in and of itself Mm -hmm. or the uh, Porsche Orfina homages Mm -hmm. I don't know why I tags the only brand that's coming to mind in the way of well it's dan henry 1972 yeah. right yeah but but you've got these these homages to a watch that existed and a different company's bringing it back mm-hmm. you, you know i think um i think the the answer to the question lies in what people are going to tolerate and 
I found that it's a little hard to put a finger on on that in this homage question, right? Um, you, you know, it, it seems at some point that there's some intangible, uh, some intangible feeling that has to be there. I, I think attention to detail. I think that um, marketing all go, comes into it. You, you know, but Dan Henry largely, largely gets away with his homages in a way that, you know, maybe some other companies don't. Uh, I think Bernhardt's another good example. Bernhardt watches are, are almost all of them hearkening back to some other watch or, or watches, uh, and, and they get away with it, you, you know, versus other companies maybe don't get the same amount of freedom there. So something about the way Fred Amos does business, something about the way Dan Henry does business um, in the design of their watches, uh, we don't need to answer the question, right? But it begs the question. But it does beg as, the as question. We, as we approach this topic, I think it's a question worth pondering. Yeah. And we're done pondering. Yeah. Right. <laughs> They get a pass from us, you guys, right? Because yeah, they're you, awesome. You, you know, Invicta released their uh, 1953 Submariner homage uh, in the last six months. You know, perhaps perhaps even less than that, four or five months. <clears throat> and you, you know, they did a, they did a bunch of things right, really right. Uh, they removed sort of the most offensive Invicta branding. They it's not engraved on the case anymore. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, they um, just generally took a watch that was pretty good, right? The the Invicta Pro Diver is pretty good. Yeah, and they and they removed some of the most offensive stuff. But I guarantee you, there's still a bunch of people that would never consider that watch. And some of that just has to do with the stigma. Uh, oh, and it's, it's all the stigma. Having have having worn the sorry. the in stigma. Yeah, the in stigma. You're right, because it is Insta-born. Invicta Insta... No? Oh, I was thinking Instagram-born stigma. (laughs) Uh, It's a lot of that. Also true. Because Invicta, I I don't know how they do what they do. Generally, they make pretty offensive watches. (laughs) But if you can look past that, objectively, on our scoring rubric... Invicta scores really well. Yeah, yeah. It was one of the highest. That Invicta 1953 was recommended by, you know, our crowdsourced question. Uh, and and it scored really well. I mean, the, I think top four or five. The, the of, Pro Diver is one of our top three divers under 500. Yeah, for they, 70 bucks. Yeah, right? They Like, they're doing something really unique and really special. Mm-hmm. But nobody likes to look at them. And because they're a big brand that does generally homages, mm-hmm. I don't know if you could even call them homages. A lot of rips of Rolex. Well, I mean, really, and, it's just the Submariner, right? I, yeah. I, is there, are there, do they do other... That's what they're known for. But then yeah. they also do watches that are way too big. Yeah. And they have that whole that whole pricing model where, you know... The MSRP on this thing is forty thousand dollars, but you can get it for eighty six bucks on right. Amazon. Right, <laughs> and and that's something I'll never understand. And and, yeah. and when we were in Mexico, we heard I I heard that guy while I was sitting in the lobby, 
this one of the hotel staff walked up and saw this guy's fucking 55 millimeter diver on his wrist and he's like oh that's a cool watch he goes oh yeah this is a really expensive watch just in invicta but i got a good deal on it <laughs> i was like of course you got a good deal on it everybody gets good deals on invictas <laughs> you go to the invicta store and you're getting a good deal on an invicta right. You know, I don't get it. Uh, it's a weird thing. I don't understand it. There must be some logic to it, right? There's something because it works. Yeah. It's that QVC pricing model. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So so uh, you know, bottom line, I don't think we're we're not gonna we're not gonna even attempt to answer the question for you beyond what we've provided. But there's something there, right? And and I think that you have to each person has to decide for themselves if you love an Invicta Pro Diver, not even the 1953. If you if you just want a $80 no shit automatic sub homage I think you could you're going to be happy with that watch there's an officer I worked with in the National Guard for years and he wasn't a uh he wasn't a watch guy right but he had found a pro diver and he was like I just can't believe how fucking cool this thing is and I was like man I'm with you right because it's Mm -hmm. cool it is, it is cool. You know, it's automatic. It's a Seiko movement. You, you, you know, he knew enough about the watch to know that it was an insanely good deal. And he knew not enough about the watch to feel any sort of shame in wearing it. Uh, and I thought, I thought, gosh, that is so refreshing. You know, I'm not going to ever be able to recommend an Invicta to someone because of that stigma. I feel like, eh, gosh, do I recommend this watch that's going to make you look whatever you know when because when people ask us they say well what does a watch nerd want as a watch a watch nerd wants an invicta pro diver we just can't admit it to ourselves that's right and so am i am i able to in good faith tell someone who's coming to me for my advice uh that's a that that's something they should consider because they could find that if they find it on their own though how refreshing right yeah how refreshing you you know, but I'm 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 loath to say, yeah, go get a fucking Invicta Pro Diver because then they're gonna say, you know, or if they ever find out, you know, this is this really stigmatized watch, they might be like, well, maybe Everett didn't steer me right, you know. Or you just say, hey, go get an Invicta Pro Diver and get real watch nerdy. You also need to get yourself a Dremel. <laughs> right. So uh, you know, on that note, maybe we leave homage sort of there, right? Yeah. It is what it is, guys. It is what it is. Which is not some are well executed and some are not. Yeah. Which is not to say that it's not a question valuable, not a valuable question or a question worthy of discussion because it is. Uh, it's just that I think for each person the answer is so different that it's not particularly helpful to listen to us. Uh, we could pontificate on this for the balance of our right. time. Right. So, uh, with that in mind, let's move on to the to the third category, which was really encompasses both, both of the of the latter two categories, which is the vintage inspired watch. But it, but it also captures something else. Mm-hmm. So, in the in terms of the Venn diagram, this grabs those other two, probably not totally, but partially. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then it's got a third. A third category here, which yeah, it's is the little the the right, arch. Right, they can't see your fingers. Well, <laughs> I'll, we'll do a video. <laughs> I'll show you. Uh, but that is the watch that's vintage inspired. Perhaps not. Perhaps not by any one watch or any one thing, but but design cues from another time, mm-hmm. another time. So for the for the 
uh, balance of today's episode, we won't be distinguishing between those three, except when it's necessary to say, you know, all the, um, you know, Q Timex comes from Timex's vintage catalog. It was their first, you know, that's important to the conversation, but we're not going to distinguish between those categories for for the duration of the episode. Fair? Agreed. Okay. So, Let's talk. Let's talk the list, right? Because you guys yeah. recommended a shitload, a bucket load of watches. Hey guys, way too many. We have gotten to that inflection point um, where we reach out to y'all with a question, and, and we get overwhelmed with your answers, and we get overwhelmed. You know, uh, in the olden days, it was like I could put a question on Instagram, and I'd get like five or six really well thought out answers. Um, and maybe two or three sort of nothing answers, and that was good. And we could really uh, balance a show on those answers. Well, I think I had, what, 115 responses? I looked at it briefly, and I was like, there's no way I'm going to deal with this right now. Yeah. Because I was making ribs. So, I was like, I was really no way I was going to deal with that. So, it's a bit overwhelming, and we, we, of course, can't get to everything, and I can't even give everybody credit. Suffice to say, you Such guys are... an em- embarrassment of riches right now. Right. <laughs> Suffice to say, you guys are awesome. We really appreciate the feedback. We were able to get into that list, pull some of the most... Lo- and there's no logic to what we pulled, right? I mean, not direct logic. You know, we looked at that. Oh, I've seen that. Yeah, let's talk about that. But uh, we've got about 20 watches here that we rated. Um, some of them did really well. Some of them didn't. We sort of argued, not argued, but sort of had a bit of a debate about what to do in terms of presentation. Do we do objectively best? You, you know, in, in when we do a chronograph or we do a dive watch, the objective, you know, dive watch in particular, the objective standards are really designed to rate dive watches. Oh, yeah. We, we talked about how our rubric is designed to give the Nemo a perfect 77. Right. <laughs> right. You, you know, this is the purpose-built watch it is where the objective rubric um is good and and really the purpose-built tool watch the objective rubric starts to fall apart as you get away from those things so however functionalities when you start to lose water resistance when you start to get big or exceptionally small in the way of dress watches when you lose loom in the way of dress watches this is our rubric is based on the go anywhere do anything the watch that folk like us are looking for sure Sure. So uh, on that note, though, I, I mean, some of these watches did really well, right? Uh, you, you know, we pulled one Dan Henry watch because there's a couple of ha- answers that were like, Dan Henry, anything. All. All. Yeah. <laughs> the, the whole catalog. So we we pulled the 1970 because I think that's a cool watch and we don't talk about it very much. You know, sort of a super compressor. I still uh, stand by crown. I think that could be a uh, skin diver. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. Uh, and he's got great colors on that now. Oh, it's money. You know, that thing scored high 50s, 57, which is a fantastic score. Um, you know, Timex MK1 came up a bunch of times, and there's so much variety with the MK1. You've got mm-hmm. these great anodized aluminum cases, um, you, you know, and it's a really great uh, vintage reissue, as it were. You know, mm-hmm. it harkens back to these 1980s throwaway disposable marine watches that Timex made. Um, the Invicta 1953 did super well, 55. 
Uh, MK2 has a bunch of fantastic watches. Some of them are too big for our rubric to really do well, but the the Paradive Gen 2 with the matte bezel or even the Gen 3 uh, comes in at 58, which is just a fantastic score. Um, let's see, what else What else popped up here? EMG Horizon came up, the Bulova Hack watch. And the whole EMG lineup. Yeah. The, the Bulova Hack. Yeah. We we looked. I I mean I looked at the the Bulova A15, the pilot's watch. Yeah, the um, Bulova Devil Diver. Yeah, the Devil Diver, um, HK Ed's entire portfolio. Yep. Yeah. So so a lot of great watches. Those are the ones that are fantastic. Didn't quite make the cut for today's conversation, which doesn't mean they don't make the cut. They make the cut. Uh, another one, Certina has their DSPH mm-hmm. 200 meter. Uh, watch fantastic, vintage inspired, uh, just a killer watch. Did really well on the scoring. So, with that said, some watches did actually make the list. Some, some, not all, n- not <laughs> many. Uh, I'm gonna have to unlock my computer because it it's went to sleep. It's so weird to see that picture of you sans beard. I haven't seen you without a beard in quite some time, and then to see that picture of you without a beard, I don't. I don't know, with short hair, like... Uh, Everett's picture is the way he has looked the entire time I've known him. Well, I've you been, know, a, you know, a been no in the military, right? And short hair, and now you're looking all hippie with long hair and a beard. And My hair is getting long, too, I right? It's, I, think, I think I like you better with long hair and a beard. It's just not how I... Remember you. Like you like my personality better. Yeah. No, yeah. you're and, and you're objectively more attractive with more of your face covered. It's true. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> the less of my face showing, the better. Uh so so the two the two winners on our objective yeah. rubric. We're gonna we're gonna blast through those because they're very cool watches, but uh they're not the watches we were most interested in. So uh the first was the Baltic Aqua Scaf. The Aqua Scapa. The second was the uh, uh, Aqua Scaffy? Scaffa. Scaffy. <laughs> it's uh, a, <laughs> the second was the Yima. We, if any Yema. of y'all have a Yema, Yima, Yama, Yama. In, on your hands, we, well, we won't pay you for it, but we would really love to get our hands on one. Andrew might pay you. Yeah, uh, we want to get a hold of we, this. So I have only recently become aware of this brand. Everett only have, has recently become aware of this brand. We should maybe be embarrassed. I don't know. It's a French brand. French. And I only, I started seeing ads for them on the Instagram a couple of weeks ago. And because of the style of ads I was seeing and how good these watches look, yeah. I was thinking I was looking at like a Chinese mushroom brand, like like which which not to disparage brands like Jack Mason or Triwa, but that's what I thought I was looking at. Or Triva, whatever. I don't know. It's Swedish. <laughs> how mad do you think when people how mad do you think people get when we just mispronounce stuff? You know, sometimes we don't know how to pronounce it. Other times we know and we and we just fuck it up on purpose because that's why we stopped getting hate mail about it right because we just people are like yeah there's he, he must know it's not bok talk like he, <laughs> he this is this is joke uh 
So yeah, the, the we we picked this Yema Navy Graph Heritage from the suggestions. And it's not the only Yema that was that was recommended, but this was the one that I think both of we were both sort of drawn to. It's a dive style watch, which is which is part of the reason we're drawn to it because we know it's going to mm. score really well. Um, but it's yeah. super. It, it, what's the size on it? It's got a like just thirty nine. I picture, believe I was going to say like thirty nine to forty one. It it looks money. And I'm like 39. I don't know how we've not seen this watch brand before. You know, I, I think that they are a little bit off the beaten path. I think there's that other company, I, you know, I, I'm i not even going to pronounce it. Uh, I'm not even going to try. It's Olek. I'm pretty sure about that word. But the second word has a J in the middle of it. Oh, Olek and Wah. And there's like an umlaut over a couple of the letters. <laughs> uh, you know, I, they're just sort of off the radar European dope looking watches that are uh, just a little obscure for us. I, I think the other thing is price, right? You, this is north of our of our general discussion point. Yeah. And certainly these come in at under 1750 on this Navy graph with a fantastic automatic movement. But when I see these Instagram ads, I think like, and it's like, oh, 20% off Yamaha watches. I'm like, oh, okay. So these are $200 watches that look really fucking cool, but they're going to be mm-hmm. rocking like an 86 cent movement. And then I saw it on our list today and I was like, what are you? okay, worth, worth looking at. And I, and we're looking at legit watches here. So if y'all have a, any, <laughs> open the other one. If, if y'all have one and are willing to share it with us, we'd love to see one in the metal because Everett's already bro- blown his got hit by a car money on a watch. And I'm <laughs> these are the these are the the damages to recording outside. Someone's gonna drag their recycling bin up the gravel drive. A fucking quarter mile. I know <laughs> so far away. I feel like it's rattling the microphone. Uh is so if you have one and are willing to share it with us, or if Yemma if y'all are listening, we'd love to get a couple in the metal because they're... You think there's a chance that the folks at Yemma are listening? I mean, the way they heard me pronounce a couple of things, they're going to assume that I need more refinement <laughs> in my life. Um, but they're they're all super cool, vintage-inspired watches. Yeah. Not with not all fotinaed with the, with the brown loom, which as we learned a couple of weeks ago, loom won't turn brown anymore. Just yeah. radioactive loom turns brown. I've, <laughs> I've also stopped carrying tritium near my groin. After. Fuck it. Go with it, man. You don't need to make babies anymore. Yeah, I stopped that, though. I also okay. I also pushed my bedside table further away from the bed. <laughs> We're going to continue. Uh, yeah, no, they're they're very cool, man. I, I dig them. And I, I really liked this one. Uh, it, it's nothing going on here that is... Uh, sort of overtly Mm-mm. vintage, right? It's not like the the bull of a devil diver or but something it, where you look at it and you say, eh, I'd be cool. It's got that, though, that really flat, like tabletop design. It's got a flat bezel, a flush crystal, and it, it's almost a, like a like cookie cuttered mm-hmm. out, which, which still exists, but there's just no taper anywhere, which is such a, such a classic kind of 70s, 80s design cue. It does have the brown loom, 
but the the fonts are right the markers like even with white loom this would still be a very vintage inspired watch well and this got uh, a high movement score for me too this is their uh they say entirely designed, developed, and assembled at our Morteau workshops in France. Twenty-eight to eight movement, forty-five hour power reserve. Now, I suspect that this is based on some other Ibosh. I don't know that for sure. It, it may be. It's beautiful. It, it's beautiful. It's obviously lovingly crafted. Um, it's a 31 jewel movement, which is just an insane amount of jewels to put in a movement of this quality. You, you know, this company reminds me a little bit of Laco. Yeah. In that they have some pretty expensive watches, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, their their portfolio is vast. It's like the vastness of Seiko. Yeah. The wideness, like the price gap. Yeah, perhaps. Right? Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, because they definitely have watches that come in at many thousands of dollars and this is what seven and a half seven fifty and they've and they've got quartz watches they've got quartz watches that come in at at like 300 bucks right so they're all over the place you know it's one of those brands that i think the reason i i think laco uh is because laco is this luxury brand that's accessible. That's accessible. If you want to get a Laco, you can get a Laco. You know, versus Rolex, right? The the entry point on Rolex is you have to get hit by a car. That's right. It's unobtainium for for most people. So, I think that's cool. You know, I will say uh, I was at a Bay Area watch group hangout. Area? Bay Area. Bay, Bay Area. Area. I think is the way you say that. What did I say? You said Bay Area, but I think we can mush, mash up those words and Baria? call it Beria. Not Barrio, Beria. Uh, I I reject that. Okay. I was at a Bay, Bay Area watch group <laughs> uh, hangout recently, and someone brought up, you know, tongue-in-cheek, but brought up Yemo with uh, derision. Oh. And, and so it occurred to me that maybe some of the um, higher-end watch guys uh, – have some feeling about them. I, I don't know. That's as far as it went. I didn't ask the question, but but that is a thing that happened. So I don't I don't know enough about the company to know what, but I can tell you this is pretty cool and it scored objectively high because because of how cool the movement is. In-house. The aesthetics are money. The stats are right on it. That's right. The size is right on it. It's it's obviously got the water resistance. That loom is fucking brown, though. It's so brown. Okay. It's mustardy. It's like deli mustard. I know. So watch number two, second highest scoring, actually, the tied with the Yema for highest scoring, <laughs> is the Baltic Aquascafe. Aquascafe. The Baltic Aquascafe. So we, we picked the white-loomed version mm-hmm. of this because, for fuck's sake... That gave it like an extra three points just in terms of aesthetics. X factor. Right. <laughs> but golly, man. This this watch would look horrible with Fotina loom and the white loomed markers on the bezel. You know, they do actually they do a pretty good job with their Fotina matching. It matches, but it's just not right. It, coming on the rubber strap. 
the bezel appears to be about a millimeter wider than the case. It's got the domed crystal and is, uh, is it, is it sapphire or is it? Yeah, I think it's a sapphire. Um, I think it's a sapphire uh, bezel. Doesn't matter because it's got the dome inside that bezel. This is so money. This, this is the skin diver that we're all looking for if we're willing to pay 600 money. And how about this crazy statement? I think in terms of... I think I got too close to the microphone. You are always too close to the <laughs> microphone. In terms of a Fotina execution, this is one of the better ones I've ever seen. It's... it's Yeah, because it's not brown. It's just a light, light tan. It, and and their and their font is very thin. Mm-hmm. They're not maxi markers. I don't know. Maybe they're maxi markers, but the the markers are very sort of uh, diminutive mm-hmm. in terms of the overall look. They've got those tiny little dots. Yep. At the five minutes on the bezel. Uh, everything is just very sort of tastefully done. So it's not brown antique in your face there's a lot of loom but it doesn't look like there's a lot of loom mm-hmm. and i think the black sucks a lot of it up the domed crystal soaks a lot of it up the really bright stainless hands soak a lot of it up the finishing on the case soaks it up and it's on rubber it's on a tropic and i love that yeah you can get this on a beads of rice too Ooh, shit That'd look even better on a beads of rice and feel even better too. So we should we should move on to our next watch because as you stated just a few moments ago, we're running long. And that, that's a function of, you know, I haven't seen you in weeks. And, <laughs> and we're on to the Laurier Falcon 2.0, the 36 millimeter release. Yeah. And I think this is especially exciting because this is finally a watch that I could, I would feel confident in buying my wife and I know she would wear it often but I would also wear it a lot but you'd get to wear it yeah it's a, it's a his and hers in the like a shared his and hers we don't need to buy a matching set because this thing is the falcon it's the Laurier falcon that we fucking love and I will I will forever and always be mad at the fact that I won 600 money in the lottery and I said you know what I'm gonna wait a week to buy a watch i'm just gonna i'm gonna stew on it i'm gonna let this simmer and then i go back a week later and oh the falcons sold out they're they're 39 millimeter is sold out 38 40 is oh is a 40 they're uh, on the nuts they're so they're 40 on the nuts is sold out and seeming like it might not come back kick myself in the bag yeah, I'm not sure. I, you know, you'd suspected that they're going to reintroduce the 40s with the 36s. I think I, they will, and I think that's possible. This is, I think, vintage inspired in the most generic sense of the term. This is not a direct homage to anything. Nope. Um, this is not sort of religiously applying obscure details from another watch. Shit, maybe it is. I don't know. It's not because it's a dress sport watch. Mm-hmm flat bracelet very classically styled and i and i think i think 
It's got all the classic design cues of a Sarb. A Sarb is a modern watch. This is a vintage-inspired watch. And I, I'm having trouble, even as I, as I look at it, articulating exactly why. It just feels classic, right? And I think the size, I think being 36 millimeters, that in and of itself is sort of vintage-inspired, mm-hmm. right? That is not a popular size to market to a general audience right now. I'm glad on the 2.0 they did away with the textured dial. Well, I I think it's still there. It looks, it, it's much more subtle if it's still there. No. Yeah, it's still there. Is it? It's just we're looking at the white, we're looking at the white dialed version here. Um, it's it, still there. It, it's still <laughs> It's still there. You know, some people don't like a broad arrow hour hand. uh, And you know who I'm talking about if you're listening to this. Uh, Or maybe they like some of them, but they don't like others. And there's a certain proportion of head to shaft. I don't don't like Mercedes hands. Uh, You you know, but I I think they've just, the, the execution on this thing is really good. I do not love, I do not love those texture dials. But what Laurier has done is they've done their own thing. And I like that. Yeah. They've done their own thing and they've captured the seventies design and they've made it a modern watch. What do you think about those loom plots? I hope that that means that they're super bright, (laughs) but it looks like a millimeter of loom, maybe more. They're just big, really precise globs. Yeah. Of loom. And I think that'll add a really cool texture working against the texture dial. With the texture dial, not necessarily against. Yeah. But I think that it add really cool depth to the to the dial. My favorite part about these watches, this watch in particular, is that flat bracelet. I love it. I wish they did more with the Unlink. The Unlink to me sort of looks like a throwaway. Can I can I say something about about Endlinks? Yeah. Because it's it's my show. It's our show, but well, yeah, I you mean, asked my permission. It, I'm in permission granted. It's mine and it's yours. It's it's mine. You're my good friend, Everett. So, <laughs> uh, I don't understand. I don't understand why end links are all uh, contoured to represent links, but the contour is half-assed. I, I instead I, of being I'm, a precise, sharp geometric contour like what you might find like what you might find on a um on a modern sub uh oyster end link Mm -hmm. where that contour is very precise it's still one piece of metal but you've got a precise why are the end links on something like this so half-assed and foldy and curvy and flowy uh so i'm gonna agree with that concern i also don't understand why in links are never the the same length as the fucking lug (laughs) they're always (laughs) shorter they're always longer they're never the same length and that bothers me that bothers me less but yeah i don't get it yeah why end links are the forgotten detail Yeah, yeah. No, I think you're right. I mean, watches that are very, very well thought out still struggle to get the end links right. 
watches that are very, very expensive still struggle to get yeah. the end links right. They're the forgotten detail. They're the, they're the, oh, fuck, we need to find a way to attach this shit to the bracelet that we spent a year developing. So our next, our next sort of uh, choice pick, this doesn't mean, so, so like the Laurier Falcon, this didn't score particularly well. I mean, it didn't score poorly, uh, but and nor did the Falcon. The Falcon scored pretty well. But these, these are watches we chose because we liked as opposed to the objective scoring metric. This is not a watch per se, but sort of a range of watches. A family. A family of watches across a few different brands. Mm-hmm. A few different brands. Um, but this is the sort of 1963 Chinese military chronograph family. Yeah. So we are on record. Uh, we're on record as having recommended the HK Ed, Ed 63 mm-hmm. about 4 billion times. Maybe 4 trillion prior to this moment right now but there there are also some uh iterations that come direct from this from the Siegel watch company mm-hmm. um as well as EMG who who Ed HK Ed is a member of um the the DL uh DL63 yeah. is EMG's version of this so they come in a couple of different iterations mm-hmm. the a 38 version and a 40 coming from Ed at the 38 and, and from Siegel yeah, and, and then a forty-two millimeter version, also coming from Siegel and from EMG. Yeah, and Ed, Ed does a forty-two. Yeah, that's right. And so we picked this watch because it is such a classic, and and this is one that we we kind of falls into that. Is it just an a continuation of the original? Is it the 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 two thousand and twenty? Camry, or is it the 1999 Camry? But we felt like this this rises to the level of a vintage-inspired watch because its design cues have remained so true to the original while still updating and modernizing and, and making this watch current. Mm-hmm. And I, I love these chronographs. Yeah, me too. They are... Not as versatile as I'd like. Yeah. In the way of, I can't wear it to the pool. Right. Shouldn't, definitely don't wear it in the shower. (laughs) Even consider washing your hands while wearing this watch. But this is a watch that you can wear with a t-shirt and jeans. This is a watch that you can wear in shorts. And this is a watch that you can wear under a sport coat. Yeah. And even to work. And, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb and say the 38 millimeter is perfect and the 42 is is about four millimeters too big. Yeah. Um. Maybe not four millimeters big, but at least two millimeters too big. If you're a biggie, yeah. like if if you're on the larger size, if you got big wrists, if you're a a large stature dude who An typically oversteer type. Yeah. If you typically wear larger watches, this the 42 is gonna be perfect. The 38's the money zone for this watch. Yeah. It's not diminutive. That's the thing. That's the one of the most impressive feats of this watch is that it doesn't look 38. It feels and wears like a 38. It's small, but it's not diminutive. Yeah, that's right. You know, and and it's it's vintage inspired in a way that's really attractive because it's not got any sort of anachronistic features plugged into to make it feel vintage. It just is it just is retro perhaps. Yeah. Right, um, 
you, you know, I, I rock my Ed 63 on suede. Oof. So money. And it's just, it's just perfect. You know, it's also you, money on a pass through. It's a money, it, it's, it's a strap monster. Not great on bracelets, but it's, it, it looks good all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I think you could probably wear it on Croc. Um, yeah. because of that polished case. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I think the DL63s, I think, think some of the EMG versions incorporate some brushing into the case, and that might be your thing. Uh, the ED63 versions are, are polished. Mm-hmm. And, y- you know, that's not going to be for everybody. For me, I, I mean, I really feel like I can wear my champagne-dialed ED63 um, as a dress watch. And and maybe that's part of it. Maybe it's because there was that champagne option in across all the brands that do an iteration of this uh, or an iteration of this watch. There's always a champagne dial. And maybe that's it cuz it cuz it's not quite gold, but it's really damn close. Sure. And it brings that gold uh aesthetic to the watch. And and that and you know you you've got plenty of options in terms of panda, reverse panda, um blues, greens, that real classic red, blue and mm-hmm. silver. I really uh, or like champagne. the seagull with the red star. Yeah. Yeah. So tons of options and just a very neat watch that we love very much. Uh if you want you you know, if you want a, a vintage inspired watch that's not going to break the bank too. These are all coming in under under four bills, you know. yeah, under three fifty, I think, and yeah, or right around there. So, what's up next? Uh, it looks like ooh, the Q Time X, another thirty-eight millimeter watch. Yeah, that wears bigger than thirty-eight millimeters. It does, and that's curious, like really unusual. But it's also only one hundred and eighty money, and they're available right now. I've been wearing this watch a lot. On the weekends, this is one of my like go-to weekend watch. It, I, I like I said, like I've said before, I I didn't think I was gonna like the, the mesh. I love the mesh. Once I got it adjusted right, are we calling it mesh? I don't know what else you'd call it. Yeah, fair enough. It's not mesh, but it is. It's got that really sort of thin, tiny diminutive link that that acts like mesh but it also has a clasp like a mesh yeah it's got that that sliding adjustable and again i didn't think i was gonna like it but once i got it dialed in which it which took me i don't know 50 adjustments once i got it dialed in i love it it's super comfortable it does kind of have a weird i think the the bezel is uh plastic and, oh interesting and they did not uh, coat the the delta between the case and the top of the bezel, and you've seen it. It's got a black. It, it's a visible black line on the sides of the bezel, which is covered by everything on the top. But I, I think it's, I think it's a plastic bezel. Interesting, right? You've seen it. You, yeah, you, yeah. you I, noted that, and I, I think that's the only that's the only option that makes sense to me. Yeah, which is I mean we're we're talking a Timex, and we're, and we're talking 180 money. I bet it's anodized aluminum or or painted steel. One of but the two. Either way, it, it, the black is a weird choice. Mm-hmm. But I dig this watch. You you know 
I think that there's been a lot of Q Timex. Is it worth the hype? You know, YouTube videos. People paid four hundred money for this watch. Blog posts. I, I don't think it's worth four hundred money. Right. <laughs> I big picture at four hundred and fifty dollar scalper price, it's not worth the hype. At one hundred and seventy nine bucks, brand new from the Timex fucking website. Because you can't buy it on the Amazon. You have to buy it through Timex. Yeah, it, it's worth it's worth every bit of one hundred and seventy nine bucks. Every bit of it. I love this watch. It's not my favorite watch, but I'll never get rid of it. I will replace the battery in it, and I will continue to wear this watch. And it's straight out of the 70s. They grabbed something from their catalog that was special, and they kind of used it, or they're, they're using it to launch themselves into the, the gap that Seiko is creating right now. Yeah, a bit of a springboard. Yeah. You, you know, I, I think a very cool watch. I think that in in the first place, it was just a well-designed watch. You know, there's some problems with it, right? Yeah. Uh, some some pretty major problems, you, you know, in terms of functionality versus design cues. It, it's not a particularly um, capable watch. No, it has none water resistance, like 30 meters. I think maybe 50. Yeah. Um, that looks like a that looks like a dive watch. It's got a GMT bezel, which is weird, with it's no empty. GMT functionality. Also, in the way of QC, my date wheel intermittently works. Yeah, you, you know those. T- you know, and I think this is a Seiko movement. So they that may be a um, that may be something that you could get you could get looked at. Uh, yeah. Uh, in terms of a in terms of a return, but yeah, you you know they've got some a, a very light uh, aging on the loom. Um, it, it's more pronounced in person, I think, than it is on the pictures on the Timex website. But, Agreed. But still pretty subtle. Uh, yeah. You know, in terms of vintage inspired watches, I think in the affordable scene right now, you can sort of start here. Yeah. I love the angles on the case. So we should move on. <laughs> Short lugs, hooded lug. Yeah. Yeah. It's good, man. It's a good watch. So our, our last watch for the day. This is the Hamilton Khaki Pilot Pioneer, which I think is a terrible name. Yeah, it's a bummer. This rot, this watch, kind of. I'll, I'll, you you can touch on it, but then I want to I want to raise something. Well, so this is a really sort of uh, purposefully designed vintage watch. It, it harkens back to the W10 watches. Um, these these sort of storied military W10 watches. Uh, you, you, you know. This watch is not going to be for everybody. And in fact, it's probably not even going to be for all that many people who want to casually wear a watch. And the reason for that is it's a 33 millimeter, a 33 millimeter case, a cushion case, but still 33 by 36. It's a little. It's a little guy. And if you don't like this one, you can get a Bertucci. Right. That's right. Virtually identically shaped, but appropriately sized. And and with less sort of bona fide and um 
more more of a modern feel. I, I'll tell you, I think this thing is just cool because they didn't fuck with it. They were like, this is a great watch from our catalog, and it was great when we released it. And yeah, you know, and, and they made some changes. I don't think it's a totally uh, a, a totally faithful throwback. Um, really limited on on those classic military design cues. However, what they haven't done is they haven't done any sort of silly modernizing bullshit. Sands the the sand colored loom, which is terrible. It's um, not great. It's it's not great. If this watch was just white on white on white, it would be a hundred times better, in my mm-hmm. mind, in my opinion, right? My not so humble opinion. I mean, it's our show. We get to make our opinions, and they are gospel, right? <laughs> what do you think? What are your thoughts? I I feel the same way. I think if they were going to go with a tan loom, they needed to go with tan markers. the The problem that I have is that all the numerals are white, which really make the tan loom spots stand out, which is why uh, white on white on white would be money. It's diminutive. This isn't a watch I would ever wear because 33 millimeters is just, it's, it's just too small. 35 would have been perfect, but they're pulling out of their catalog. It's got that very, very H-shaped case, mm-hmm. but it's a money-shaped case. Like You just scale this up a tiny bit, mm-hmm. and this is a phenomenal watch as it stands it's a great watch to look at it's a super simple super simple like military slash field watch dial with just the one to 12 i i there there's no weird flourishes it just has the minute ring and it's there this is as basic a watch as they come but my guess is that this is 500 money? Yeah, ish. I, I think that's about right. You, you know, it, it's 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 in the affordable range uh without being w- without being cheap. My one sort of draw my my one sort of um caveat to that is this this watch when it was originally released came with an acrylic crystal and this modern version comes with a mineral crystal. Mm. It seems like why not just do an acrylic if you're already there? One or the other, right? right. Do acrylic or do sapphire. I also kind of hate the hour hand. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I kind of hate the hour hand. Yeah, definitely classic. Definitely a vintage inspired, but yeah. So that's it. You know, I, I think this is a tough, I think that perhaps this was a tough topic because it was so broad. Super broad. Super broad. I, I think that that we could revisit this in, in a more targeted fashion. And if you have ideas for that, we'd be happy to hear them. Um, you, you know, the, the problem with vintage inspired watches is how much, how many of the watches being released today that aren't in the Invicta catalog aren't vintage inspired, right? Uh, everything's vintage inspired. And, and so it was a little tricky in terms of sort of drawing the line. You know, there was a couple of the recommendations that we looked at and we're like, eh, no, uh, that, that doesn't work. That doesn't work for the, for the prompt. But um, yeah. But that raises the question. And this is a question we've kind of always asked. Where's the evolution of watch design going? Is the evolution of watch design going to the Richard Meals, where they're just bonkers crazy looking? 
or is it drawing on the history of watchmaking and the history of of watch design and making it just a touch more modern? Sure. Because we, I mean, that's a question we've raised, but I don't know, 74 times? Yeah. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. Well, you, you know, it, it's it's a good exercise to sort of see what's out there and to be thoughtful about it, and we hope you enjoyed. Um, but I guess we move on at that point. Andrew, other things, go. My other thing this week is... I just, I want to thank educators and people who do what I am failing to do for a living. I'm trying to teach a four-year-old to read. (laughs) (laughs) Which is like, which is like the hardest thing. Right. I show him a word and I, I read him books every night and I show him a word and he tells me the letters. And then he says some bullshit. He saw has last night. Has? Has. H-A-S. And has. He, looked at, he looked at it and he goes, H-A-S. I was like, all right. You know the letters. I'm killing it as a parent. Way to go. Now let's sound it out. No. <laughs> Those were made up noises. Right. <laughs> and I get so frustrated so fast. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, no, motherfucker. H-A-S is not... It's not Apple. Yeah. It's has. The patience of the of the folks that yeah. do this is... So for any of you out there who are educators or are married to an educator, I just want to say thank you. Mm-hmm. Because, number one, you're way better at that than I am. Because I suck at trying to teach a kid how to do shit. And number two, my hat's off to you for choosing to do that because that is fucking insane. You're a saint. And then number three is is I've been I've been doing a lot of reading on how to homeschool your kid because that's the world I live in right now, and that's the world we all live in. And the the majority of Google responses at this point are based on the world that we live in. They're not like the normal results that you'd have gotten six months ago for how to homeschool a kid. They are shelter in place responses. And I have drawn some encouragement out of like, this shit is not normal. You didn't choose to homeschool your kid, but you're trying anyway, and you're trying is what matters. So I'm going to celebrate the fact that my trying is what matters, <laughs> and sure. the generation of kids that are learning to read right now are going to be about 10 years behind where I was. And that's totally okay, because we are living in a changed world. So for everyone out there listening who's trying to figure out how to homeschool your kids, we're all in this bullshit together. And let's cross our fingers that they can all go back to school in September. Yeah. <laughs> and thanks to our, and thank you to our educators who are managing and, and doing the best they can with districts and uh, directed curriculum and 
limitations on methods and yeah, yeah. it's tough times. You're the real heroes. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I've got another thing. Do me. So there is a series of novellas. Mm. A series of novellas that I have dipped my toes into. Uh, Telenovelas or regular novellas? uh, Written word. Okay. Written word. So there's an author called Martha Wells. She's a sci-fi author and she's written a whole bunch of shit. But she's got a series of novellas called The Murderbot Diaries. That doesn't sound very romantic. It's it's oddly more romantic than you might think. All right, I'm ready. Considering the protagonist is a sexless uh, murder bot who actually doesn't understand sex. It's more romantic than you might think, knowing that thing. Uh, the fact that you added doesn't understand sex makes it kind of a romantic. It, it, it is indeed that. So it is this non-human sort of... A uh, 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 quasi-human, uh, mostly robot with some organic parts that's finding <laughs> its humanity by way of completing robot tasks in a robot way. Anyway, it's totally, totally wonderful. Uh, these books are short. They're novellas, right? So they're short. Um, you know, you know, I, I got through the first one in about four hours sitting on my couch, uh, reading after everybody had gone to bed and I got to the end and I was like, Oh fuck, that's it. You know, uh, type of deal. So it's a, I think that there is a full length novel on its way in this series. Um, but Murderbot Diaries, Martha Wells, Holy shit. It's very, very cool. We've got a couple of listeners. I would say about 10 listeners who I converse with on a very regular basis about uh, sci-fi novels and this and that. And, you know, we've recommended uh, books on the show before. And, you know, people hit me up and be like, holy shit, what would you think about this thing? And uh, and so that's been fun. For those of you, for those 10 of you, uh, this is a must read, I think. This is a must read. If you haven't already read it, I'd say get the first one on your phone right now, read it tonight, and make a decision because I do not think you're going to be able to stop. Uh, Really, really fantastic. Totally sci-fi. Some people that doesn't work for. For me, it's like the the ultimate genre. Okay. Yeah. Murderbot Diaries, Martha Wells. Go. I haven't read it yet, so I can't go. (laughs) Well, considering we're at like an hour and 57 minutes. No, we're not. No, no, we're not. Andrew, my friend. 115, right? 115, yeah, good job. Andrew, my friend, do you have anything else that you'd like to add today before we get out of here? Thanks for listening, y'all. And I miss you, Everett. I miss you too, buddy. I'm so glad you're here. I'm. We're going to finish these beers, right? Yeah. All right, good. Thank you. Thank you, sitting at home or maybe in your car, for joining us for this episode of 40 and 20. Check us out on Instagram, at 40 and 20. That's where we post all our news about the show, etc., etc. Check us out on patreon.com slash 40 and 20. That's where we get the support for the show. Again, that's how we pay for hosting, microphones, the things we do. If every single one of you contributes $1 this month, we may get close to recouping everything we've spent on the show thus far. But probably not. Don't forget to tune back in next Thursday for another hour of watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Bye-bye.